0: Hi, this is J.P. Mack, and welcome to Liberty ReLearn, not just another conservative blog. Okay, so today I want to continue on with my discussion uh, regarding Ayn Rand's work, um, talking about specifically her book, The Virtue of Selfishness, which was written in 1964, and but uh, if you read it today uh, particularly certain parts of it uh, you might think it was uh, wrote just last week or sometime recently because her message in the book was that um, timeless and of course as I mentioned in the previous podcast from last week about her chapter on racism Um, I want to go over her chapter on collectivist values and how specifically how uh, collectivist values translate into our government uh, creating multi-trillion dollar spending bills and of course I'm referring to the six trillion dollars in new spending our president is proposing uh, along with that he at the G7 summit recently uh, committed spending for uh, projects overseas um, trying to get the G7 countries um, of which America is one of course to commit to spending more Uh, they believe this is uh, somehow going to counter the bridges and roads uh, project that's being uh, done by China so he wants to spend six trillion dollars for quote-unquote infrastructure and uh, other new entitlements Um, plus he wants to do the same apparently for other countries. And so in reading The Virtue of Selfishness, one thing I noticed is how uh, Anne Rand, uh, you know, who I would say had the collectivist playbook, you know, she came here of course from the Soviet Union back in the 20s, and she came here and she uh, basically knew everything that the communists in, in uh, the Soviet Union were up to. And basically how they did things, how they operated. And so she had a lot of insight. And I would suggest you pick up her book, uh, The Virtue of Selfishness. Uh, it's not a hard read. Um, and read it. Uh, don't let the title put you off um, as the book would explain uh selfishness means in this case uh one following their own uh self interest, which um of course, you know in this world where where the the default values are those of altruism, which Rand would define basically as uh, sacrificing one's best interest for the best interest of others. Um, She would define selfishness as doing what is right for oneself, Uh, but that wouldn't exclude, of course, um, some self-sacrifice, particularly for one's friends and family and other loved ones for those things that the person values but uh, her idea was that you should not be the the morality shouldn't require you to uh, sacrifice oneself or one's well-being for others just as a matter of rote or just as a matter of course Um, so that was the argument uh, she makes in her book And I think she does and she has a lot of keen insights and uh, I think as I said this could this book could have written been written uh, last year or yesterday for you know because it hasn't uh, lost any of its sense of being um, uh, valid Today's time is kind of one of those timeless books, and so uh, her her chapter on collectivist um, collectivist ethics um, she describes, um, among other things, how uh, collectivist leaders can justify. all sorts of spending and all sorts of grand public projects uh, as long as they are labeled for the public good. And so of course we're in a situation as I mentioned where we're spending, we spent trillions uh, of dollars in the past 24 months or past 12 months uh, over two administrations uh, starting out with COVID relief and then turn into stimulus and et cetera and um of course you can hear about me talk about that ad nauseum in a previous podcast um so if you want to go back a couple of weeks um you can catch up but uh continue the spending out out of control spending in my opinion continues um they just had the g seven g seven summit over in Britain and uh, they've made an agreement uh, to spend trillions of dollars between the seven countries on uh, projects uh, worldwide. This, of course, is on top of, as I mentioned, the $6 trillion already being proposed. Um, President Biden's proposals, some say, would cost anywhere between 20 and 40 trillion dollars ultimately and of course we're already feeling the inflationary effects as I speak these words of the trillions of dollars of spending done in the last 12 months again under his and the previous administration and so Uh, In reading this chapter, uh, it was really, uh, it became very clear that uh, Rand understood the rationale. Um, One thing I'm learning from reading Rand, particularly recently, is collectivism. And so you're probably going to hear me use that term a lot, uh, use a lot in this essay I'm, I'm about to read to you. also in the future because sometimes we get caught up in terms like socialism and communism and fascism and even statism and we have to end Marxism and we have to understand that these terms all refer basically to the same thing the same bigger thing which would be collectivism the idea that a person's worth is only Uh, his worth as uh, from the point of view of the collective of the point of view of society. As Rand points out society cannot be defined. Uh, The needs of the society are merely dictates of um, the mob basically as we would call in today's parlance. It's basically um, sort of democracy or, or it's it's kind of uh, the will of you know whoever you, whoever has the most support determines the value of that society uh, and it's not determined on any other moral principle but the whims of the collective and the whims of uh, society's elites so she talks a lot about in that book, and once she gets to the chapter of collectivist ethics, it, she she shows that she really understood what was going on, and again the the uh, socialist, you want to call them today, uh, in the government today, uh, you know, most of us would call them socialist but. Uh, whatever whatever we call them um, they're basically playing from the same playbook that existed back in 1964 when she wrote her book wrote about these things and so again hearing about the uh, new spending on top of all of the old spending recent spending uh, I wrote this essay uh, I'm gonna post it in Liberty relearn Dot .com so that you can read it in, at your leisure, uh, um, but in the meantime, I'm going to read uh, this essay. It talks about how did we get to multi-trillion dollar spending bill. And Rand had an answer. How did we get to the point of passing trillions of dollars in new spending while already $28 trillion in debt? trillion infrastructure and no entitlements the president is proposing just for the next budget would be a nuclear inflation bomb. In addition to that, he wants to commit America to trillions in international aid over the next few years. In her book, The Virtue of Selfishness, Ayn Rand explains how leaders with a collectivist mindset can justify such lusty sums for pet projects and public largesse even though we are experiencing record inflation partly due to previous enormous spending. It comes from altruism paired with a neurotic lack of self-esteem in a leader or among lawmakers that fuels the need for ever more spending on, quote unquote, the public good. It is based upon the need to feel good rather than actually doing good. The cost to the individual is not weighed in this calculation as as collectivism is more concerned with its benefits and that of its leadership than of any individual, save that of the decision maker, him or herself. When explained the motivations of such people playing fast and loose with the wealth of others, saying humility and presumptuousness are always two sides of the same premise and always share the task of filling the space vacated by self-esteem in a collectivized mentality. The man who is willing to serve as the means to the ends of others will necessarily regard others as the means to his ends. The more neurotic he is or the more conscientious in the practice of altruism and those aspects of his psychology will act reciprocally to reinforce each other, the more he will tend to devise schemes for the good of mankind or for society or for the public, or fu- or future generations, or anything except actual human beings. Rand would define altruism roughly as the complete subordination of one's interests to those of others, even to the point of death. While this sounds noble, nowhere in this definition is the concept of free will mentioned, for her moral problem with altruism is not the idea of self-sacrifice, it is the choice and reason for it being determined by others, not by oneself. In the name of altruism, collectivist leaders feel free to spend as much as is necessary." And she goes on to say, hence the appalling recklessness with which men propose, discuss, and accept humanitarian projects which are to be imposed by political means, that is, by force on an unlimited number of human beings. If, according to collectivist characters, the greedy rich indulge in uh, profligate material luxury on the premise of price no object, then the social progress brought by today's collectivized mentalities consisted of indulging in altruistic political planning on the premise of human lives, no object. The hallmark of such mentalities is the advocacy of some grand-scale public goal without regard to context, costs, or means. Out of context, such a goal can usually be shown to be desirable, it has to be public because the costs are not to be earned but to be expropriated and a dense patch of venomous fog to shroud the issue of means because the means are to be human lives. The problem then with the scale of out-of-control government is that the government is choosing for others what sacrifices they must make, and then acting as if no sacrifice is too great for the good of the collective. Any objection or dissent is dismissed as selfishness. The collective, the ruling class actually, gets its moral validation without regards to the cost to the individual. Human lives are the currency paid for Their feelings of self-esteem in much the same way Lincoln would say slavery means you work, I eat. Rand would probably say altruism means you sacrifice, I feel good. This especially being the case when altruism determines the spending habits of a country. When played at the scale of government, the notion of public interest good, private and individual interest bad, and the president governs according to human lives, no object, inflation, even the prospect of hyperinflation, plays no role in his decision making process. The collectivist ruler, knowing of the altruistic tendencies of the public, takes those tendencies carefully co- cultivated over the course of decades and uses or rather abuses them towards satisfying their own neurotic proclivities towards false self-esteem. The public who support these policies get to feel good about themselves too, but only for a little while until the bill comes due. By the time they're paying $5 for a loaf of bread, $6 for a gallon of gas, they and the rest of us will be forced into government dependence and relinquishing their right to self-determination to the state. It is not a stretch, then, to postulate that it is this massive transfer of power from the individual to the state that the president and his party are really after. And that is my essay. It will be posted on I uh, hope you get a chance to go back and read it and also i hope you'll read the source material from Anne rand uh, i think you'll find it very insightful as i think that sums up the leftist mentality uh when it comes to most things is you know it's all you know left uh thinks in terms of their policies or things they do as feeling good rather than doing good. Uh, the conservative, by contrast, asks, well, does this do good? And of course, there is, um, when you're only worried about feeling good, well, feeling good is only a fleeting thing. And so all of these policies that uh, the president and uh, the government are trying to enact nowadays. Um, they make people feel good, and obviously, you know, people are willing. There's enough people; they believe willing to uh, trade their independence, um, their their much of their freedom, in return for uh, the government taking care of them. And of course, there is the kind of old uh, adage or old cliche that the government on one hand offers you money and on the other hand makes sure you need it and that of course has been the trick that has been pulled on generations of americans and other people throughout the world and uh, over the last um, hundred years or so but particularly in, in probably the last uh, forty to fifty years in America uh, it's, it's basically um, buying votes uh, you vote for me in exchange for some money now that money seldom if ever actually solves any problem uh, it turn, tends to create more problems um and of course, you have um you know Johnson's great society uh and, and his uh war on poverty and of course that war on poverty is still not over, and basically the numbers on poverty have barely budged since he passed that legislation in the mid sixties mid to late sixties, and so but it, it cause a number of problems, um, incentivizes um, uh, out of wedlock, uh, having having children out of wedlock, uh, a lot of fatherless households, and of course the fatherless households lead to things like um, poor education, uh, leads to uh, more and more dependence upon the government and so you get actually this uh, cycle of dependence where you can't quite make they'll give you just enough to keep you alive and keep you voting you know during the next election but not enough to break out of that poverty and so it has continued generation uh, after generation since, well, since uh, Roosevelt in the nineteen late nineteen twenties, thirties, and the New Deal, and now uh, in recent times, you have um, these uh, a lot of um, programs. One program after another, so throwing money at the programs. Now, of course, the money. Uh, some of it gets siphoned off into the leaders of this program, these people who uh, campaigned and contributed and, and voted for the president or governor or whomever. Uh, these persons expect the payback and the payback often is that their pet project gets funded and of course uh, you know, with basically an unlimited source of funding from the government uh, well, that can never dry. There's no cause, there's no really any cause to limit any waste. Uh, and of course, the leaders of these projects, you know, they benefit materially from that and they gain power and uh, sometimes they accrue political power for themselves and they work their way up the food chain until maybe they get to the top, maybe they become. Uh, vice president or even president so it is a uh, almost a scam um, it's a vote buying buying scheme where you know I promise you money and uh, you you give me votes and then you know I give you money but I'm not really giving you money I'm giving uh, my donors money and my my sycophants money but that not all that money not all that aid is getting trickling down to the public who needs it that of course um, has been uh, what the uh, what uh, the Tocqueville describes as uh, the government bribing the people with their own money and that is indeed what's happening oftentimes and of course it is just totally of late become just a uh, naked uh, blatant effort on the part of the federal government uh, they're literally giving you money and of course we had all these payments um, starting from the coronavirus relief and then the stimulus and now there's another proposed stimulus and, of course, you know, while they're paying you a a small fraction of all of the monies being allocated, uh, most of the monies, uh, somewhere you know around 90%, uh, depending on the bill you're looking at, uh, are going to pet projects. Particularly now, you have a Democrat-run Congress and a Democrat White House. Um, just the the whole scale of things has gone up to the low trillions and now we're into the mid-trillions of proposed government spending. Of course, as I mentioned before and I will continue to mention again, it's a very simple proposition. You know, you have uh, 28 trillion dollars in debt and you accrue something like five six trillion dollars on top of that in various relief bills or quote unquote relief bills. Now they want to do an infrastructure bill which has very little infrastructure in it, and of course, now uh, they think we're fools and they don't and they want they won't see that they're redefining infrastructure to mean whatever it is they need it to mean because people say, Yeah, I want the. Uh, Uh, free education and I want uh, free childcare and free this and free that and that's all well and good but that is not infrastructure. Of course infrastructure, uh, if we were to define it, has to connect with uh, transporting goods and or services or people from one place to another. So be that um, uh, food from the farm to the grocery store Or the book you buy from Amazon or uh, you driving from work or you flying from one end of the country to the other or uh, a boat coming in from China or somewhere else to uh, some port in say New York all these things are infrastructure Uh, and also you have the power grid that transport electricity from the power plant to your electric socket uh, at home or, or to your light bulb at home or or nowadays from transporting a Wi-Fi signal or uh, a phone signal over the line over landlines or over the airwaves to your cell phone or for some of you uh, who still have uh, landline phones with actual wires and so all, all infrastructure is properly defined as something that facilitates the transport of goods and services and people from one place to another. And, of course, uh, the Democrats are trying to expand the, the definition of infrastructure. They're trying to redefine it. Um, again they they think that we won't notice their redefinition of infrastructure and it's basically all these things all these personal needs and of course you know these personal needs might be valid I mean there might be people who need uh, child care and whatnot but these things are not infrastructure and so basically what they've been doing and they've been doing this for the last several bills uh, all of these trillion dollar bills is they're basically pulling a bait-and-switch technique where they're calling it um, say COVID relief but they're actually funding creating funding for teachers unions and or they're calling it uh, um, uh, uh, some other bill but it's actually the money is you know it's coming it's called a stimulus bill but it's actually going to pay off the debts of the blue states um, who poorly managed their their education funds and their retirement funds and, and their pension funds uh, they're bailing out that state as they say well it's all connected to COVID-19 but see this money is money is fungible and so, yeah, you can put money into the system and say, yeah, it's for COVID relief, but actually, what that does is free up states that um, govern poorly. Their econ, you know, they are fiscal, and they're filling in those fiscal shortfalls. So, even though government says it's for um, relief, could relief, or whatever. It's actually, you know, money being fungible, it's actually going to other things um, to make up for bad spending practices. And so I'm just going to try and sum up this point by saying, uh, first it was interesting um, when Ayn Rand says that um, uh, humility and presumptuousness are always two sides of the same premise and always share the task of filling the space vacated by self-esteem in a collectivized mentality. And This goes back to something that I've probably talked to about before, is um, you have the left, uh, the secular left, secular progressives, and... Yeah, you know, we used to have, we used to be governed by a system of morality uh, born from religion you know, we had, the, the West was born on the Judeo-Christian values and even if you were not religious yourself you still, as being part of Western civilization you followed those Judeo-Christian values and right and wrong basically came from what was in the Bible, or the teachings of the Bible, and of course um, those teachings could be uh, interpreted in different ways, but it's basically coming from the Bible. And when, of course, Marx came along, he saw that uh, religion was too much of a competition for his uh, socialist or his communist program because he knew that people who could depend on God were willing to, um, you know, not not seek out, were uh, being, not, not seek out conflict. Of course, Marx was already, was all about causing conflict. Um, again, as he saw the Hegelian dialectic, um, which basically means that he, he pit uh, class versus class, and of course that's followed up now by pitting race versus race, or sex against sex, or nationality against nation. And of course we have the additional um, dialectic of you know humankind versus the climate, and you know, and so of course the answer to all of these things is, guess what, collectivism. Uh, the answer to pandemics, uh, collective action, you know, you recall uh, the need for masks, you're not wearing the mask for yourself because, you know, masks, you know, other than certain ones properly fitted and designed like the N-94 are not going to help you very much but it's for helping uh, keep the other person and everything. Uh, you see this collectivist goal, and I've talked about this before, in contrast to the pandemic, the flu pandemic of 68 69, uh, where uh, several hundred thousand Americans died in that pandemic um, over, I think it was a 24 month period. Uh, we didn't wear masks, we didn't resort. To social distancing or any drastic measures Um, and I would say I would attribute that to that we still had this individualist uh, original ethic that the founding fathers uh, created and believed in and created America for and over time we've been uh, as I mentioned in in the article this uh, great, this noble sounding uh, altruism or egalitarianism um, has been foisted upon the people uh, taking advantage of their normal um, willing to help other people but it's a twisted version of that uh, particularly when Anne Rand talks about altruism. You know, as um, as as I put in the article uh, you know, the complete subordination of one's interest to those of others to even the point of death so it's the subordination of your own self-interest and th- th- that's my description of my interpretation of her, de- her definition um, so yeah, I'm just going to r- wrap it up by rereading this paragraph. And these are my words, my commentary on what she thought. Uh, Rand would define altruism roughly as the complete subordination of one's interests to those of others, even to the point of death. While this sounds noble, nowhere in this definition is the concept of free will mentioned. For her, the moral problem was with altruism is not the idea of self-sacrifice; it is the choice and reason for it being determined by others, not by oneself. In the name of altruism, collectivist leaders feel free to spend as much human capital as necessary, and of course, that is um, what's going on with these multi-trillion-dollar. Uh, spending bills it's basically um, out of control altruism or egalitarianism um, taking but it's not it's something it's a uh, almost like a, a perversion of charity where it's not voluntary giving it's it's people feeling good for making other people give or making other people suffer through hyperinflation uh, things of that nature and so this will continue Um, I hope that word gets out um, against these uh, huge infrastructure bills and other bills um, because we just cannot take the inflationary effects of these bills you know the, the people. Unfortunately, um, they don't pay attention to how much is being spent. They see, you know, they they understand that they're getting fourteen hundred dollars or six hundred dollars or whatever, or they're getting free health care or or free tuition to college or whatever, and they're not looking at the long-term cost. Uh, And they think, they've been fooled, many of them, into thinking that the rich can pay for it all. And if only the rich would pay their fair share, you know, we could have all these great things. And that's just not the case. Um, So I'm interested in, um, like I said, this, uh, Ayn Rand's book, The Virtue of Selfishness. It's really a great book. I hope you will read it basically exposes the uh, collectivist game plan, um, but also be, gets deep into, particularly in the first part of the book, it really gets deep into ethics and morality, uh, and what the basis of morality is, and she believes that pursuing one pursuing their rational best interest is a better morality than what she describes as altruism. You know, sacrificing yourself for others, um, whether or not it's for your own good or not. Um, so I hope you will read that. I think it will be world well worth the read. And so now um, I'm just going to spend these last few minutes talking about uh, COVID, so may go on a little bit of a rant. So, if you think that's interesting, you know, uh, continue listening. But if you want, you know, if you're into the real hard, you know, you know, absorption of knowledge and gaining of knowledge for yourself, uh, probably the last segment will probably do that for you. probably shouldn't say that, but um, there it is. So, allow me to rant. A bit um, on the subject of COVID-19 and the masks, in particular, because now we are. The good news is we're getting into the end game of COVID-19, as I mentioned before. As as a crisis, it does seem like um, certain parts of the uh, population. Uh, those would that happen to be of the collectivist ilk or the left, as we like to call them, seem to not want to let go of this crisis, which is very interesting. And this this is mainly for those people um, in those parts of the country who have, up until recently, been wearing masks for the better part. Of a year to uh, fourteen months who only recently have uh, gained some some uh, relief from having to wear a mask and but now what I'm seeing is there seems to be almost like three kind of people now, and this is again specifically for those who've been wearing masks like in the Northeast or California or uh, possibly Michigan and other parts of the country. Those of you in Florida might not relate as much because you have been wearing masks for, you know, of course in South Dakota, you have been wearing masks at all. But for most of the rest of us, um, it seems like the strategy has been or what their, their government's way of dealing with it has been to allow masks or allow vaccinated people to not wear masks when they go into stores and it's pretty common throughout almost any store you go to at least uh, the ones i've been to and so I'm i'm speaking from my own personal experience here i've noticed there seems to be Three different people, and you have the one part where the, the one group of people you go into a store because it's optional, so they're not saying for well, first of all, it's very interesting that some stores make it very hard. You have to almost read the fine print, you look at the sign. I made a habit of looking at the signs of the various stores I go into to make sure I'm in compliance because you know, kind of a, a lawful good. Or lawful chaotic in that way Um, but so I look at the signs and some of them are fairly fairly obvious some of them use the same sign you have a little picture of the mask and uh, the only difference is that it's optional Uh, but if you, you unless you actually read the sign you won't know that mask wearing is optional for those of, of us who are fully vaccinated, and so of course there are people. Uh, I said there's three groups. is actually probably four. Um, the one group is the, when you go into a store and you're wearing people wearing masks. Uh, and there's the other. You know they're wearing masks and they're following the directions on the sign. They have not been vaccinated. And so they're continuing on wearing masks. Um, And then you have the other group that's fully vaccinated and they're not wearing masks. Now there's another group which I have to intuit its existence. So I can't tell you for sure that that group exists except for uh, my perceptions, um, particularly in walking the stores. Now, in my state, the vaccination rate is somewhere around 60%. So that means when I go into a store, I should be seeing approximately 60% of the people in that store, if they're strictly following what the science says, and who knows if they are or not. But if they are strictly following the signs, you should see 60%. And what I'm seeing, particularly the first uh, week or so, it really it really struck me. I, I think some people are just not used to the idea of not wearing a mask. Um, but I'm curious about another group, which I believe exists, which I don't... I'd be interested if anybody had the data on or, or was collecting data on this. but. I am going to posit the the notion that this group exists, and that this group looks at the sign, sees that they their mask wearing is voluntary, and uh, based upon, like I said, sixty percent in in my particular state, um, they are they're continuing to wear the mask. Even though they are fully vaccinated, now again this is just my supposition, but you know one can quickly gauge, you know, looking around the store, you know, if more than fifty percent, if if every other person is not wearing a mask, and it's interesting that to see that they're that they are. Um, So that means there must be a certain percentage of people in that store that are fully vaccinated that are still wearing the mask. Now, I can understand if you're wearing a mask, if you're not fully vaccinated, you know, you're trying to protect yourself, which I don't know how. You know, you may not be well informed if you're trying to wear the mask to protect yourself, but okay. Or protect others, which makes a little bit more sense, more um, jobs more with the actual science uh, for the mask, particularly um, for the common mass or you know someone wearing a bandana. And so you have you have that group, but they're wearing the mask even though they are vaccinated, and there has to be, it's obviously a certain percentage. I would say, And this is just a wild guess, but I would say it could be as much as 20% of the people I'm looking at in the store. Uh, Particularly in the first, it's it's increasing, it's gradually increasing the more times, you know, as the weeks go by. But I know that initial few days of not having to wear masks, the the loosening up of the mandate, there had to have been, I would just guess, 10 to 20% of the people in the store wearing masks, they had to have been fully vaccinated and still wearing masks. I don't for life of me understand that. Um, because we, who are they trying to protect? They're not trying to protect me as a fully vaccinated individual. Okay. Because basically according to the CDC, you know, it, it's, it's a negligible, it's basically neglig- negligible, negligible, uh, chance that I'm going to ca- contract COVID 19 after being fully vaccinated and particularly after being fully vaccinated for a number of weeks now. And so they're not wearing it for me. Um, they're not wearing it for, it makes no sense for them to be wearing it for themselves because they're vaccinated. You know, so they're not wearing it for the people who are still not vaccinated. You know, so who are they wearing that mask for? Because they can't get it from me. Or they're almost, it's astronomically unlikely that they'll get from a fully vaccinated person. Um, and they're not, if they're vaccinated, they're not giving it to other per- people. Again, for the same reasons highly unlikely, highly un- unusual occurrence that these people would still be, w- would be able to con- uh, to shed the virus, basically and put it in the scientific terms. And my guess is that, you know, even if, like, I would say as a fully vaxxed person, uh, say I got a great big dose of COVID-19, I'll walk straight into a cloud of it or whatever. And so my body is still fighting off. Now, I have the antibodies, but my body is still in the midst of it. But if you figure that, then, you know, after a certain amount of time, I'll be, say, you know, 50% of the virus load will be destroyed within in my body. Okay, I'm not sure how it works of it, but I assume that would be the case. At some point, I'm going to be, you know, whether it be several hours or half a day or a day of uh, being exposed, I'll be down to 50%. You know, you know the, the battle will have turned and, and my body will now be winning the battle against COVID-19. And so at some point, I'll be at 50% of the viral load my initial load, how much of the virus is actually in me. And as I'm breathing out, well, I'm not there only, you know, if I'm at 50%, and now I could be at, you know, depending on when it is, I could be at 10%, you know, or 90% of the virus could be killed or 100%. But let's say, just for the sake of argument, we'll use 50%. My antibodies are fifty. have gone through 50% of the virus in my body and destroyed 50%, working on the other 50%. Okay, so that person that I come in contact with can only get that 50%. Okay, so I right, hope you're following me with a logic here. Now, that person who may, might be vaccinated... You know, you're getting a diminished viral load every time, you know, every person that uh, even if if a vaccinated person is going to give it to somebody else to the point where they can be identified as having the virus, you know, it has to be an an ever-decreasing viral load that that person gets or passes on. And then that person, and so now, so say they immediately get pass it on to someone else, and say they sec, first. Second, they get it. Uh, they're they're getting through, uh, and the viral load is as high, high it's going to be in their body, which is fifty percent of what it is in my body. Or my uh, my initial viral load, so they're getting fifty percent. Of that, they give it to someone else, or they pass it on. You know, it's going to be an ever decreasing, and eventually it'll get to the point where you cannot, it can't be detected through a test. Basically, is what I'm saying, I don't know how long it takes, but I'm assuming that's somewhat of the process. Basically, what I'm saying is, if if you were, even if you were to be exposed. Even if, your vir- even if your body is in the midst of fighting off or destroying the virus, there has to be, that means it's diminishing minute by minute, hour by hour, how much of the virus is inside your body until there's none. Um, that has to be an ever decreasing amount that you can pass on to someone else. And in turn, how, what they can pass on to somebody else. And so it's very interesting so you have three types of people. You have the person in the store wearing a mask because they're not vaccinated. You have the person not wearing a mask because they are vaccinated. And you have the person wearing a mask even though they're vaccinated. And that is just to me it's inexplicable. I mean, first of all, why did you get vaccinated in the first place? Don't you believe now now here's the thing. They're saying it's science, science, follow the science, science, science. And well, the science says, according to the CDC, that you're at little risk of contracting COVID-19 if you're fully vaccinated. I mean, that's the whole point of getting vaccinated is not only you don't get sick, but you don't pass it on to the next person. And so, there has to be a break between what their understanding of the science is and what the actual science is. So it's very, um, and through my own personal experience, I've found that um, people on the left, people who are like on the extreme left, not just, you know, they, they vote Democrat because maybe they're, they have some pet, uh, issue that Democrats like. But I'm talking about the hardcore left people now. They tend to be, my, they tend to be a very fearful people. And in my experience, the more conservative people, um, it's interesting, they've done studies, uh, at least informal studies and in polls of people. And what they are finding is that Conservative people, uh, particularly who follow conservative media, are more, they're less afraid of the virus, but they're more understanding of the virus and uh, the nuances of what it takes to get the virus and whatnot. And so their respect for the virus or fear of it is more in proportionate, more in line with what the science actually says as opposed to the hard-left person who's, who's very fearful of the virus, um, but whose understanding of the virus is does not uh, match up with what the science says. Um, and, of course, a good example of this would be people, uh, teachers who don't want to get back into the classroom because they don't understand the science that says COVID-19 doesn't operate like the flu. And they're thinking of their experience with the flu, and you know how the little kids um, are—yes, little uh, flu flu germ factories when they're when they're that young. They don't understand that COVID nineteen is a totally different animal, and uh, it doesn't work the same way as a flu. But they have the mindset they can't separate one disease from another, and the how one disease operates from another and so they there you have a faulty mindset of what they understand and that seems to be the case and that's backed up by some polls um I, I would uh, go online i'm sure that you, you can find what the under, uh the difference between the anxiety levels between uh conservative, self-identified conservative people and self-identified liberal people. And the conservative people seem to be well-versed. Their understanding and their fear and respect of the disease seems to be more in line, actually, than with people who are on the left. That's very telling. So, and of course, you do have to attribute that to mainly to where they're getting their information from. So, again... Uh, that's something to think of. Maybe you've had a similar experience. Maybe I can get you thinking. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if anybody does a, a study of this and tries to figure out put if they, anybody can put a number on how many people are wearing masks. Is what I'm getting at. So, anyway, that's just an interesting thought I had. I'm being pondering. So. Again, uh, I'd just like to thank you for listening to the Liberty Relearn podcast. I hope you got something out of it. I hope you will uh, take it upon yourself to read some Anne Rand. I think you'll benefit from it. And uh, I hope to uh, see you again. I hope to be able to I'll talk to you again uh, a week from now. And I hope you'll... Uh, follow LibertyRelearned.com online and Liberty Relearned on uh, Parlor and on Facebook. So thank you. Try and stay healthy and happy. Bye.